episode 66, A Very Niwala Halloween. I'm assistant curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to the Halloween edition of the Kansas Historical Society's Cool Things Podcast. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Something's wrong cause my mind is and everywhere I look, there's a What began as a pagan harvest festival over 1,500 years ago is today the world's second most marketable holiday. It's Halloween, and every year it inspires small costume children to go begging for candy. Halloween wasn't always that way, though. A century ago, October 31st usually led to vandalism and terror in towns across the country. In Kansas, a handful of towns came up with a simple solution by throwing a party. Join Assistant Director Rebecca Martin and me as we examine a set of Halloween party invitations from the early 20th century. Later, sticking with the Halloween theme, we attempt to connect William Allen White to the most sinister of characters, the Oakland Raiders. Clad in black and sporting an angry one-eyed pirate, this American football team has plagued the National Football League for almost 50 years. What did William Allen White, a small newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, have in common with this group of thugs and brigands? You'll find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, a very Niwala Halloween. Got a devil's in my mind. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Hi, Merle. Today we are going to talk about a couple of Halloween invitations from the early 20th century. And uh, we're doing that because we are approaching Halloween and we thought it'd be fun to talk about some Halloween material. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the card, one of the cards features a hand-drawn image of pumpkins and it, quote, requests your presence, end quote, um, in 1909 at a Halloween party in Manhattan, Kansas. The other card dates from 1911, shows a young, cute, uh, chubby witch riding a broomstick. Yeah, she's very friendly looking, which she is very friendly looking. Um, Rebecca, to begin with, what exactly, uh, you know, briefly, <laughs> what are the origins of Halloween? Well, briefly, the last two millennia, I have seen <laughs> different um, Halloween uh, Halloween evolve over the last two thousand years, and um, the early, early origins of it were apparently among the Druids. They believed that uh, the first day of their New Year, which was November first, more or less, um, was uh, the, and the preceding night, which would have been October thirty first, was the night when the spirit worlds and the worlds of the living overlapped. And um, the spirits of the people who had died in the preceding year would come back into the land of the living and apparently look for their loved ones. So uh, that had a lot to do with the origins of people wearing masks and disguising themselves on the night of October 31st because they didn't want the spirits to see them, recognize them, and take them into the spirit world. So that has a, a lot valid to valid concern. Uh, you know, I, I would be concerned about that, too, if, if I was a druid. <laughs> um, now, of course, over the last 2,000 years, Halloween has really evolved, and it's a much more user-friendly holiday today, um, a lot more fun and accessible. Um, so th- but those are the, the basic origins uh, of Halloween. 
Um, I, I read a little bit that um, Halloween was uh, brought over here by a lot of the Irish immigrants yeah. that came over, which makes sense that mm-hmm. they were bringing it from the British Isles, British Isles. Um, and bringing a lot of the traditions to the U.S. And when the immigrants, Irish immigrants, started arriving, that's when the Halloween really expanded in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now it's become more of a commercial holiday in different parts of the world, but it's still more commonly practiced in the United States, Canada, and Western Europe, mm-hmm. parts of Western Europe. When do you think Kansans first uh, began celebrating Halloween? They started pretty early. I mean, once you get, yeah. um, You even see stories as early as the 1870s and 1880s of people's parties. Um, They were having Halloween parties. Um, You know, it wasn't like a, a big costume party like we have today, though. Most of these parties were kids getting together, and they would have um, a lot of what we would consider probably traditional fall treats like, you know, apples and cider, Um, and they would play games, parlor games, a lot of them, fortune-telling, bobbing for apples, that kind of thing. So they, you're saying they didn't really wear a lot of costumes then at, at that not, point? Not in the 19th century. What they were more into, especially in the later years, late 1800s, was the prank aspect or vandalism of Halloween. Ah, yes. Which, yeah. We, the age-old tradition of vandalism uh, at Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we really think of it that much anymore, although Devil's Night, I think most people have heard of Devil's Night in Detroit, Michigan. It's the the 30th of October where there's still a lot of vandalism going on in Detroit. The authorities have really tried to control that. But that kind of comes out of that tradition, um, especially around that time period of acts of mischief or vandalism. That's also a British Isles tradition. Um, Is this supposed to sort of reference like spirits uh, play into that druid um, tradition, like spirits coming out and being mischievous? I think so. I'm not entirely sure how that connects or how it's evolved over 2,000 years. Bottom line is, do you even really need a definite reason for vandalism? (laughs) Apparently not. Uh, There were some pretty nasty things that were going on in Kansas. And um, a few years back, I actually sat down with some newspapers from different Kansas towns and was reading uh, reading them around Halloween just to see from the local news what was going on. Um, And it's easy to kind of snicker about them nowadays, but some of this is pretty serious stuff. Like one of the favorite things is tipping over outhouses. We don't have outhouses, but picture an outside bathroom, you know, 150 years ago, and somebody tips it off of its um, hole. Uh, one of the funniest stories I read was that this farmer, because this is something that happened every Halloween, right? This farmer moved his outhouse off the hole and he he had it set up, I guess, in his backyard so that the kids had to run over the hole to get to the outhouse and it's dark, right? And guess where they ended up? They ended up in the hole. <laughs> yeah. Farmer played a little trick on the kids. Which is a little bit funny, but I mean, it's a little, also <laughs> like, jeez, uh, kid, hope he can get out. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I don't know that the, the person thought of that. But um, there were some pretty serious things that they did, too. A lot of kids would pile um, carriages and wagons into the streets, um, like in the middle of the road, which may not have been that big of a deal in town. But if you do that out in the countryside and somebody's riding home at night, they can't see that there's all this this barricade in the street or in the road. And mm-hmm. it had been known to actually people did get hurt and very seriously from some of these pranks. Another favorite one was putting wagons on top of roofs. 
Um, I, that seems like you have to have a gang, essentially, yeah. to do that. Um, and I actually read a couple of things from uh, the Wichita newspaper that made me laugh. In, in 1899, the last year of the um, previous century, <clears throat> there were there was a report of one of the storekeepers sitting on a barrel outside his gate with a shotgun. I mean, it was that serious. Goodness. And another storekeeper said he put signs in the doors that read, if you can, please leave the cook stove. So <laughs> apparently... So he saw it coming. Oh, yeah. They knew it was coming. And the newspapers wrote about it year after year, you know, begging these little kids, none of whom probably read the newspaper, <laughs> please leave us alone. Um, so it was it got pretty serious. And you can imagine if a you know shopkeeper, I mean, they were turning everything out into the streets um, and sometimes doing worse acts. In uh, the town of Hiawatha, they wrote after night after Halloween 1913 that it was a pretty good year because the only dangerous act was some kids filling up a wagon with uh, flammable material, setting it on fire, and hauling it through the streets. Goodness, that was the only bad thing. <laughs> and I, I can picture wow. in a town that's probably mostly frame buildings, if a spark flew, I mean, you're talking about some possibly serious damage happening. So year after year. The newspapers were begging the kids, please leave us alone this Halloween. And uh, it didn't really take for a long time, many, many years, lots of vandalism. Do you have any idea who is usually doing this vandalism? Are we talking like, you know, like young high school boys or was it more of like uh, adults doing it? I don't think it was adults. I think we're talking young boys. And I don't know how how young they got. Mm -hmm. You'd have to be pretty strong, though, to lift a wagon on top of a, of a roof. Indeed. So the Halloween we know today, I mean, though at times there's vandalism involved, it's involved, it's, it's, it's evolved into a different situation. Um, is that at all related to the invitations that we see? Because looking at these invitations, it looks like, you know, a lot of people were out partying in the, in the 19 teens and, and yeah. 20s. Yeah, um, the parties really were a direct result of the vandalism because people were trying to figure out how do we keep these kids off the streets on Halloween night. And a really good solution was parties. So they kind of evolved, though, from I mean, the invitations we have are more related to parties with friends in a friend's, the, you know, friend's home. Um, so it's like a pretty small little exclusive party. But eventually these things evolved into community-wide celebrations <clears throat> and that were very successful and, and um, did really help uh, curb the acts of vandalism dramatically. Um, and, you know, it still happens today, not nearly as much as what we're talking about in the 19th century, though. So those parties really worked. And then eventually it evolved into trick-or-treating, where people go from door to door and ask for a treat. And the trick, uh, for all you trick-or-treaters out there, the trick, that's essentially a bribe. Trick-or-treat means either give me a treat or I'm going to tip over your outhouse. I'm going to tip over your outhouse, put a wagon on your roof, and possibly a bonfire roll yeah. through the yard. Yeah. <laughs> it's bribery. <laughs> I think I'll get with Hannah and the small Snickers. Uh-huh. Works for me. Um, the celebration of Halloween has led to some rather odd and enduring traditions in Kansas towns. And now I think we understand a little bit more why these mm -hmm. traditions evolved. Um, can you tell us about some of these traditions and celebrations? I know you've kind of become familiar with some of the, some of the more 
you know, unique ones in Kansas. Yeah, um, actually, this community-wide celebration ha- has its roots in Kansas. I mean, I, you see that, I think, all in different communities around the country. But one of the first, if not the first, United States community to have a celebration that on Halloween itself was this little town in northeast Kansas named Hiawatha, which I referenced earlier when they were relieved that all that happened was the bonfire wagon rolled through the streets. Um, it got so bad there, and people were so tired of it. This um, The newspaper reported that this little old lady got really sick of her flowers being trampled on and her fence pulled up every Halloween night. So she got together with her friends, and she said, let's have a party. Um, and it wasn't just a party in somebody's house. It was a big community-wide celebration. They had parades, and I mean multiple parades, costume parades, um, all sorts of different events and competitions. And that particular town celebration inspired other towns around the country to do similar things because it was so successful. I mean, the vandalism just dropped off to nothing in Hiawatha. One of the um, more famous ones in Kansas is... Can, can I just real uh-huh. quick, I was reading about that um, that tradition a little bit earlier, and, and um, apparently that was the first time that there was ever a parade of kids yeah. in Halloween costumes. Isn't that interesting? Which they did that in my hometown, and to me it's such an ingrained you know, that's what you do every year is every kid lines up, walks uh-huh. up and down Main Street. And I was blown away to realize that that started in Hiawatha, Kansas. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that, did you realize that it had its acts in, in violence and vandalism? <laughs> no, there? I yeah. had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea yeah. I was doing that so I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> egg buildings or something. Yeah. Tear up a fence. Um, yeah. And so um, another community in southeast Kansas was inspired by Hiawatha. And just a few years later, um, it started its own celebration. And that town is called Independence, and its celebration is still around today, and it's called Niwala, which is um, spelled N-E-E-Wala. Uh, <laughs> N-E-E-W-O-L-L-A-H, which yeah. is Halloween backwards. Halloween spelled backwards. How brilliant is that? Do you have any idea how long it's actually been referenced as, ne- as Niwala? Well, they had the first Niwala in 1915, no, 1919. So it was, you really? know, right at the end of World War One. really, really early. They've had a couple of breaks, I think, with the Second World War. They stopped doing it oh, a couple yeah. of years. A lot of, yeah, a lot of places did. But so it's been around for a long time. And um, I was just checking the website um, before we started to talk today. And they still have multiple parades. You know, not just one parade, but different ones. They have concerts, dramatic productions, food vendors. I mean, you name it. It's a three-day festival centering around Halloween in this little southeast Kansas town. It attracts people from all over the place. So is it actually kind of Halloween-themed? It is, yeah. Cause so you have, co- you know, dress-up costumes. And, yeah, and they have buttons every year, and the buttons are always Halloween-themed. This year's has a ghost and a pumpkin on it. They have a contest to design the button. It's really big. It's the big event in this community. Well, i got to tell you what I'm most impressed uh, with, the, with the Niwala Festival is its naming strategy. Yeah. <laughs> the whole take the name, flip it backwards. Brilliant. And you still got a pretty fun word to say. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed with that that I actually came up with a little game that we're going to play, Rebecca. Uh-oh. Using this kind of neat, creative naming strategy. Um, so I will give you the sort of the, I will give you a holiday, but I will give you the, the um, Niwala version of the name. The backwards version. Right. And we're going to see if you can tell me what it is. 
And then I want you to tell me if you think it might be a better version or a more interesting name. Because honestly, I, Niwala, that sounds like a fun holiday that I would want to yeah. be a part of. That's a good name. Yeah. Okay. So I've got four names. I will give you the holiday. You tell me You tell me what holiday it is. First, uh, we have Golf Day. Golf Day. Golf Day. Flag Day. Flag Day. That is very good. Uh, that uh, was an easy one. They'll yeah, get progressively yeah, yeah, I harder. Know. And I think um, I'd prefer Neowala to that one because that sounds like a sport day, you know? And there's golf enough day. day? Yeah. It sounds like golf, G O L F. Yeah. There's enough sport days out there. Okay. Then we have. <laughs> it's a little harder to say. We have Giving Skank. Yeah, that's Thanksgiving. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Still too hard to say. Neowala just trips off the tongue. Yeah, giving skank just I don't know. It, it's a kind sounds of like you're selling a, <laughs> selling something on the street. I don't know. It's got a mean little end to it. Yes. Okay. Next we have Submullock Day. What is that holiday? Submarine Day. Close, but not at all. Yeah, I'm going to peek over your shoulder and look at it spelled Columbus Day. Columbus that is, Day. That is Columbus Day. Submullock is Columbus Day. Does that sound like it would be more fun than Niwala? No, I still like Niwala better. Okay, finally, the last one I think is the hardest. It's uh, Ruble Day. <laughs> yeah, I... That, see, it just rolls off the tongue. Ruble, Ruble Day. Ruble. It's actually Labor Day. Oh, which I think sounds like fun. Sounds like you're going to get a bunch of Russian money handed out to you. <laughs> yeah, I've got one for you, too. Okay. It's Yim Yadtrib. Give Yim up. Yim Yadtrib. Yim is day. Yadtrib. Yim? No, Yim's not day. No, it's not, is it? My birthday! Oh, wow. That's, it's my is... birthday month. I'm a Libra. <laughs> yeah, that is a well, that is a long celebrated, well endured tradition. It should be. <laughs> All right, Rebecca. Well, thanks for telling us about the invitations and uh, telling us a little bit about Halloween in Kansas. Yeah, happy Halloween, everybody. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William L. White. Joining me today is Assistant Museum Re- Director Rebecca Martin. Hello. And Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hi. And today we are connecting William Allen White um, to the Oakland Radiator. Ra- <laughs> <laughs> the Oakland Radiators. Also known as the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> the Oakland Raiders. I have some vocabulary issues today. Um, yes, we're connecting him to the Oakland Raiders. Um, and we'll start out with a little background on the Raiders. The Raiders are an American football team, um, different than your average football team. Because they're I violent. Yes, because they don't play soccer. <laughs> Um, American football team based in the city of Oakland, California. Um, The Raiders began play in the 1960s. They were created as the eighth expansion team in the American Football League. And now Rebecca Rebecca acts like this is not interesting, but it's interesting. Um, uh, They're probably... I don't know. They sort of have an owner that has a character all of his, all of his own. It's Al Davis, and he came there in 1963 as the head coach. And since that point, he has aggressively sort of manipulated the board that owned it until he has like majority 
ownership and stock in the company. Some think he's a real jerk, but an um, evil football empire is that what you're implying? He's he's a little bit uh, sinister, <laughs> which is appropriate because the team is often accused of cheating. The Al Davis and the team mm-hmm. uses some often um, backhanded maneuvers to. Um, to influence referee calls. This all has a bearing on my six degrees solution. Too. Does it Remember really? Remember that, uh-huh. listeners. Evil empire evil. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Their Intriguing. mascot is a pirate, and that, that you don't get more evil. All right. Um, so we'll start out. We'll get mine out of the way first. Okay, well, can you tell us there's a big rivalry between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Oakland Raiders. Why? Correct. Why is that? I don't know. Okay. Thanks for the background. <laughs> because they're evil, the oh, Raiders. Okay, okay. Good enough. <laughs> and the Chiefs are good. Oh, good for Not in football. Not in football, but I don't know. No, I don't know why there's a rivalry. I, I don't because they're well, a coastal town and we're, you don't get much more Middle America. Maybe, maybe one of our listeners can enlighten us. Maybe yeah. Chiefs can. If Chiefs you know fan. the origin of the rivalry between the Chiefs and the Raiders, Send that email to Kansas, to KSH. I'm sorry to podcast at kshs. dot org. That's podcast with an S. <laughs> All right. Um, so I will start out. Um, the Raiders, which, as I said, created in the 1960s as an expansion team. Um, the one who really pushed uh, 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 someone who really pushed for the creation of that team was was a man known a man named Baron Hilton, and he was the owner of the San Diego Chargers at the time, and he wanted some more teams on the West Coast for his San Diego Chargers to play. Um, Baron Hilton, ah, uh, Hilton, mm-hmm. last name, that's right, as in the Hilton family, as in the Hilton hotels. Um, Baron Hilton is the son of Conrad Hilton, Conrad Hilton, who is the founder of the Hilton Hotel chain. He is also the grandfather of Young Paris and Nikki Hilton. Um, sounds familiar. Yeah. Correct. As we've mentioned before in these solutions, Conrad Hilton was also best friends with the little man from Kansas known as Eisenhower. Eisenhower was good friends with William Lindsay White, who was the son of William Allen White. Didn't they play golf together? Something William like that? Lindsay White and Eisenhower played golf together, and some claim that it was William Lindsay who convinced Eisenhower to run for president. Uh-huh. That's my solution. Fascinating. Nicely done. Thanks. Uh, Nikayla? Okay. Beat that. Well, uh, we'll, I'll, we'll see. Um, okay, so when the Oakland Raiders were formed, the rumor was that the logo on their helmet was reportedly a rendition of the actor Randolph Scott, who mm-hmm. we know around mm-hmm. here because he made some Western movies, some of them with Kansas connections. Mm-hmm. Um, Randolph Scott often appeared in uh, Western movies based on Zane Grey novels. <laughs> Zane Grey, as an author, was pretty badly criticized by a literary critic named Haywood Brown, who, with William Allen White, was an organizer of the Book of the Month Club in 1926. Any idea what William Allen White thought of Zane Grey books? Uh, No idea whatsoever. (laughs) He might have thought they were a good, entertaining read. You know, he he liked a good story. Uh But we don't really, I I don't remember seeing many Zane Grey books in his collections. All right, Rebecca, I believe you have our final solution. I do, um, and it also borrows on some previous connections we've explored at length, which I will not go into depth on today. So, William Allen White was good friends with the writer Edna Ferber, as Uh we all know. uh Edna Ferber once interviewed the escape artist and magician Harry Houdini. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Nikayla explored that in the previous Six Degrees. 
Harry Houdini played a trick on his wife right after they were first married. Her name was Bess, and he had never told her what her father's, or she had never told him what her father's name was, first name. So Harry had her write it on a piece of paper and crumple it up without showing him. Then he burnt the paper, rubbed the ashes on his forearm, and the name appeared on his arm. And Bess recalled that Absolutely. night by saying, yeah, it was a trick. In my early folklore, this is what Bess, his wife, said, in my early folklore, the devil, disguised as a handsome young man, lured girls to destruction. It was clear to me that I had married the devil. Oh. And... <laughs> to bring it bring it home here, as any Kansas City Chiefs fan knows, the Oakland Raiders are the devil, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> they are the devil. Yes, right. yes you, we so covered that. You're let right. Let me just yeah. get this straight. One of your degrees. So you have used. Edna Ferber, Harry Houdini, and the devil. Yeah, it didn't take very long. Oh, a first in six degrees. <laughs> well, if we can use the devil, that opens a lot of options. Well, I have to say, as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I started with the devil because when you said Oakland Raiders, this Satan immediately popped into mind. And it's kind of appropriate because this is a Halloween edition yeah. of the podcast. It's true. Yeah. It's all wrapped up in mysticism over uh, here. Yeah. yeah, I like Myst it. Magic. You know, <laughs> satanic ritual. <laughs> and that is true. A lot of Oakland Raiders fans dress up as skeletons. Oh, that's and true. They yeah. have pretty, like you said, evil. Mm-hmm. Evil, that's shady, black hearted. Yeah. Yes. Black. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the devil, I think you guys will appreciate this. Um, the next challenge. The next challenge is to link William Allen White uh, to the lipstick wearing governor from Alaska, Sarah Palin. Yay! Oh, um, where does the devil come into play? <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. Some might oh, say. Are okay. you implying that Republicans are devils? No, I didn't you are a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Merle is go he's being outed on this program. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and as I said, uh, we're going to uh, we are going to link William Allen White to Sarah Palin. Um, who happens to be uh, John McCain, the Republican nominee's vice president. Um, so, if you think you can link the governor uh, or the world's most powerful hockey mom to William Alla White, uh, just send an email to us at podcast at kshs.org. Podcast with an S. That's it for episode 66. If you would like to see images of these ghoulish Halloween invitations, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on the podcast icon. Travel down the Oregon Trail could be dangerous. In 1848, near Wamego, Kansas, the journey turned deadly. Come back in two weeks when collections development specialist Donna Ray Pearson reveals the tombstone of a man that died of cholera on the trail. Incredibly violent and astonishingly rapid, cholera killed more travelers on the trail than any other factors combined. The disease proved so dangerous, its victims often had to be left along the road with makeshift headstones. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Scary people, scary stories.